guys, I have the, the honor and privilege of introducing our guest speaker today, um, Scott Cruikshank. Uh, was born and raised in Primeville, and um, Rory uh, has been, <clears throat> met him, uh, let's see, when Rory said he was 15. Um, but they went through the School of Ministry together in Corvallis, and Rory speaks very highly of Scott and was encouraged um, in how Scott would always uh, encourage him to be diligent through studies. And, um, you know, so Scott played a big part uh, in Rory, and so uh, with that, uh, I have the honor of introducing Scott, so give him a warm welcome. Well, may the fourth be with you, for all you Star Wars fans. A little bit about me. Some of you guys might say, well, yeah, Corvallis and everything, but actually, I was born and raised in Primeville, uh, Primeville Memorial Hospital. Some of you guys look familiar. In fact, it's kind of like a blast from the past. Um, uh, it's great to be alive. It's great to be a Kirk County cowboy, and um, as my typing teacher used to say. And my, I, after graduating here, I went to school uh, for a year. I was hovering in between uh, Corvallis and Salem. And I actually met, if you, my wife's not in here right now. She's attending to one of our, our uh, girls. But I actually met my wife at the state fair. And um, it it probably helped that I had the biggest pig at the state fair. Um, truly, I did. It was like 600 pounds. Uh, it's a sow. Um, not the freak show pig that they ship from state fair to state fair, but the, the real big pig. That, anyhow, um, so went to school at Oregon State University. Primarily, um, we were married my second year into college, and that's right around the same time that I met Pastor Rory. And you guys really are a blessed uh, people. You're a blessed church uh, to have Rory Rogers and his wife, Lindsay, and their kids there. He, I don't know if I've seen a more joyous, faithful man um, that wants to disciple and teach the Word of God. And uh, it's really interesting to see worlds kind of like from growing up and now with Corvallis and having him here. It's just, uh, it's very, very special. I came to know Christ for some of you like, oh, Kirkshank, that kind of sounds familiar. I came to know Christ in the summer after my sophomore year. So if you knew me before that, I'm sorry. Um, but it's, it's been an awesome ride. I'm so blessed uh, uh, to have uh, the family I do, uh, what God's doing in, my, in our lives. We live in Bend. And uh, it's just something really, really special. And without further ado, if you have your Bibles... If you don't, grab a, grab a Bible and turn to the book of James chapter 4. The book of James chapter 4. I'm going to be wrestling around with this mic. I'm sorry. The whole, um, the whole stationary mic, I have a little bit more ADHD, so that stationary, stationary mic doesn't work as well for me. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Verse 2, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask 
wrongly. Some of your translations may say, you ask amiss to spend it on your passions. This is the real heavy verse that's really hard to swallow. Verse 4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Let's pray. We're also going to pray for Rory and the, and the elders that are over in Boise right now for the leadership training, okay? Lord, we ask that you, by your Holy Spirit, would illuminate the passage, the truth from this, from your word. Or we're desperate for you. We need you. Uh, and may I step to the side and get out of the way of how you want to work within our lives. That we could slow down, rest, and reset our focus on Jesus. And so too, in that prayer of rest, we pray for Rory and for Kevin and for Chad and so many other families uh, that are over there in Boise uh, to receive instruction, to be encouraged uh, to lead. May you just go before them. May this be a real sweet time uh, together with you. So bless them. May your good hand be upon them as they follow Jesus. So we love you. We pray these things in your name. And may we truly know how to have wisdom and humility when it comes down to our desires. It's because of who you are, God, and what Jesus has accomplished for us, we pray. Everyone said, Amen. So where in the world do conflicts come from? We have all been there, whether it's some sort of blind date you went on when you were single, or some sort of vacation you had some really high hopes for, or maybe some sort of like job opportunity. We place expectations so high on someone or something that becomes impossible to obtain. And we get our hopes We get our expectations, our assumptions dashed to pieces, and conflict occurs. I sometimes see this in my own life. Like, man, I really want vacation to go this way. And at the end of my vacation, I need a vacation, right? Have you ever been there? You're like, oh, my word, I can't believe I'm going back to work tomorrow because I'm so tired or I'm so exhausted or you're lashing out at your friends, you're your spouse, or your children. And is it too hard to just get along? Why is it so difficult to get along with people? Obviously, James, who is the brother of Jesus, okay? Try to put yourself in his, his situation where he saw Jesus, who is God, be his brother, okay? I'm sure there was conflict there growing up. And as he interacted with Jesus, it was in a place of disbelief. Church history says that he came to know Christ after Jesus had died. And so here he is instructing some bewildered, some dispersed Christians that were being persecuted for their faith how to not quarrel. The simple answer to why can't we all just get along? What is going on? How, how difficult is it to not 
be engaged in conflict specifically with those people around us, those believers or neighbors? The simple answer is we as sinners, we approach other sinners sinfully. It's as simple as that. We have selfish desires to promote ourselves, where we're not saying my life for yours. We're saying my life for me. We become, I mean, the best illustration would be Narcissus, this mythological story of this gentleman who looked into a lake and he saw his reflection and became fixated upon it. That we can be so wrapped up in our identity, we can be so involved with our autonomy that we can be so almost drunk with the very idea of what pleases us that we're actually willing to step over the people that God has placed in our lives to serve out of love to just fulfill some sort of desire, some sort of yearning that we're hoping for. We're, We're groping for certain things in our lives to find Fulfillment. I'll I'll come back to that. But we're really in these desires, in these impulses, in these passions. We need to be able to have the wisdom in how to deal with them. Now, some of you might say, "Well, Scott, it's because of my heredity." You know, I'm very impassioned. I'm a very passionate person. I'm a very spirited person. You know. Some might say it's our nationality. I'm, I'm Irish. I'm Italian. I, these, I just speak loud, you know. Um, I, I yell because I care, right? Or some of us must, might say, well, when I think of passion, I, I mean, I'm, I'm passionate on Valentine's Day, right? We, we have this view of desires. We have these, this view of passion that sometimes, a lot of the time, needs to be reset and redefined. But really, this desire that's really to the core is selfish, right? It's impulsively, reactively fighting, conflicting, and warring against other people and against other, and other things. Anything or anyone that would threaten our own happiness. Anything or anyone that would come against our joy, our relief, our peace. You know, sometimes on the weekends with how busy work is for me, I'm like, I, I just want to lock everything down. The kids aren't going to play with other kids. Other kids aren't coming to our house. I just want peace. But sometimes in the effort of peace or enjoyment, say you're, you want to go on the ultimate road trip, right? It doesn't take very long with you and your friends that, Someone's fighting, and it's not even halfway through the trip. It's not even that that night that we start to realize people have desires that are selfish. And um, C.S. Lewis has something interesting to say about the very fact that impulses, desires, can be actually amoral. Okay? And this is really interesting to think about this, and we'll talk about that in a second. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12 that... This selfishness is really, it's nothing more than just being childish. Where 
we strive, we are jealous, we're angry, we cause disputes and gossip. And as we go through life, we, in our arrogance, we actually just become more sophisticated with our desires. And it looks good. I mean, seriously, you can actually look good and, be, and desire things for yourself. That's how the Pharisees operated their life. They look really good on the outside. You can actually come to church. You can be in community. And you can actually be all about yourself. Where it's all about you're doing this for you. You're checking off something for your church attendance so you feel at peace about what's going on. But the question, if you want to write it down, the question is, when I deal with a situation, or when I approach a certain person, am I going to this opportunity where I find all my hope, worth, and value in Jesus already? Or am I approaching a certain person, a certain job, a certain uh, blind date, or whatever, where I'm trying to find my hope, worth, and value in that? I've wrestled with this with with work. Like, my desire to be affirmed, I've in vain tried to grasp onto certain positions or titles or roles to try to find meaning and fulfillment. And Jesus is saying, that's me. In Psalm 37, verse 4, you can write this down. I put it in the the side notes to this page in chapter 4 of my Bible. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your... He'll give you the desires of your heart, right? Think about this for a second. We can grasp and hold on to this truth and say, before I go for, put my feet on the ground in the morning... Before I try to make everything happen at work or I try to get a perfect grade at school or I try to you know, be the fastest runner at the track field, I want to be able to delight. My love, my aim should be for God. As I delight myself in the Lord, he will give the desires of my heart. When we forget that major piece, all of a sudden life becomes like a rummaging through empty cupboards of our soul where we're trying to find something that will fill this gaping void in our life. And I'm not even saying just as unbelievers. I'm saying as Christians we can come to a place where we're basically saying God isn't isn't enough. When truly he's standing there as father and saying, come here. The gospel call, come into my family. Enjoy being in my presence and knowing that you are mine. Very interestingly, Adam and Eve serve as a great example to us in Genesis about how they had such wonderful community with God But however, because of that fruit, they were having that desire to please the stomach, to fascinate the eyes, to pet their pride with eating 
the forbidden fruit. And obviously, we know the story. Eve and Adam both partook of the fruit, and sin came in, sin and death came into humanity. And so the great story of redemption continues even into our lives today. But 1 John 2.16, the, just the whole, uh, the whole story of how, I'm going to pull, pull it up here. For all that is in the world, the desi- and thinking about how many times you hear the word desires in this passage, or lust. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride in possessions, is not the Father, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the, the word in Greek for desire or to lust, it's so funny. I, I met up with a, a Christian that had just come to know the Lord, like in, like he was like maybe half a year old in the Lord, and he said, Scott, I said, yeah, and we we're we we're going through like you know, the Gospel of John or maybe some parts of Romans. And he goes, Scott, I just want to lust after the Lord. I'm like, what would you just say? But I, I didn't want to correct him. Like, I knew what he meant. Like, he wanted to have a desire for, for, for God, knowing that all that God's done for him, that he has saved him. He's been born again by the Spirit. He's this new creation, and he wants to live for God. And so that's too with the case. But the great, the great, subversion, if you will, is that we replace that desire for God for a desire and an appetite for things that the world would find fulfillment in. Where no longer the desire is for for God through whatever decisions we have to make. It all becomes pleasing to self. As Ravi Zacharias would say, we have become completely glandular. We're just living... Like, just like Epicureans, just the, the food for the stomach and the stomach for food. Where, I mean, I don't know if you've ever been around someone that all they're worried about is what they can eat, what they can drink, what they can do, and you're just along for the ride. I mean, it is very uh, discomforting to go, with, go through, especially if you're hanging out with this person a lot. They're like, this person is so arrogant and so selfish, and so we too are. So... So are we, when we get in a place where when desires come into your life, whether it's a temptation for sin, maybe you thought you're going into your boss's office for a promotion, rather you're handed a pink slip. And the question is, in that circumstance, is Jesus all of your hope, value, and worth? Or was it in this job that you had that you no longer have? And then all of a sudden, you go out the door, and you're met with a, a temptation. And you're, you're longing to fulfill that desire simply because this circumstance, this painful circumstance just happened in your life. And so quickly, we're going to run to something else other than the Lord to meet our, our selfish being that will never fully be fulfilled. We grope for fulfillment, and because of that, it creates three types of conflict. And before we get to the three types of conflict, I want to bring up to you what C.S. Lewis said about 
impulses. He says that impulses and desires are amoral. And I ran this by a couple of my, uh, you know, seminary friends to make sure that this is not totally off the turnip truck. I didn't want you guys throwing uh, tomatoes at me or, or telling Pastor Rory next week that I'm a heretic. But um, this is very interesting, and hopefully this would provide freedom for you to realize when you're, when you're barraged by the enemy with a temptation or with a desire, it's not, the enemy wants you to think that that's you. You're that sin, whether it's sexual immorality, whether it's taking something that's not yours, whether it's gossiping, whether it's whatever. The enemy wants to say, ah, see, you're tempted with that. You're thinking that. That's you. But this is what uh, C.S. Lewis has to say about impulses. He goes, there, there is none of our impulses which the moral law may not sometimes tell us to suppress. And none which it may not sometimes tell us to encourage. So basically he's saying every impulse and every desire we are to refrain from at times and then encourage at times. It is a mistake to think that some of our impulses, say like motherly love or patriotism, are good and others like sex or the fighting instinct are bad. All we mean is that the occasions on which the fighting instinct or the sexual desire need to be restrained are rather more frequent than those for restraining mother love, motherly love or patriotism. But there are situations in which it is the duty of a married man to encourage his sexual impulse and of a soldier to encourage the fighting instinct. There are also occasions on which a mother's love for her own children or a man's love for his own country have to be suppressed or they will lead, this is the main point, they will lead to unfairness towards other people's children or countries. Strictly speaking, there is no such thing as as good and bad impulses. Think once again of a piano. And I love this. It's a great illustration. It has, it does not have, two kinds of notes on it, it, act, it has two different categories of notes on it. The right notes and the wrong notes. Every single note is right at one time and wrong at another. The moral law is not only one instinct, one instinct or a set of instincts. It is something which makes a kind of tune, the tune we will call goodness or right conduct, directing the instincts. And... When desires come our way, especially in light of the book of James, the book of James talks a ton about desires and how to walk in humility and how to, and how to receive wisdom from God, right? So when we come and we're, we have certain impulses, we have certain passions, we have certain, uh, it could be lusts, that we need to realize, wait a minute, before I take this, if God is all of my hope, worth, and value, what should I do with this desire? As we do that, knowing that the whole point to humanity is that he has come to rescue us from our state of self. Even look at Lucifer, Satan. His whole place of rebellion started at self. I, I. I. And so too with desires, very, 
and it can be very subtle. It doesn't have to be very pronounced. And it can be something in private. You think about how quickly we've been isolated from each other, even though we're really socially connected with all sorts of uh, devices where we're on our own and we can feed those desires quietly in a closet, in front of a computer screen, whatever, and we are not realizing that it's actually bringing us to a place where it's warring against our own soul. So the first area, and I'm kind of touching on it right now, uh, the first area of conflict is our selfish desires war and conflict against ourselves. And this is not to be a heavy thing, like somehow you've got to suppress the bad desires and what have you on your own. No, this is something where this was the whole point to Jesus rescuing us. He, he became flesh. He died upon the cross for our sins. He conquered the grave. And in resurrection life is showing us that we can once again, just like Psalm 37 verse 4 says, we once again can have a, a, a creative, our new creation can, can long after something that's more than just material, like what Solomon wrote about, that everything was just vanity, vanity. He had everything, and at the end he said it's vanity, it's emptiness, it's meaninglessness. That truly we can say our delight, our desire is for the Lord, our love would be for him, and then he will properly give us the desires of our heart. Just like, it's almost like he's given the song sheet for us to play the desires like keys on a piano, that it would be, that it would make wonderful music. It would be, it would be harmonious, okay? But so quickly, we can be in a place where we, con, con, we war in conflict against our very selves. You can sin against yourself. Scripture talks about how our consciences can be seared. And I'm not just speaking this to yourself or to you guys. I'm speaking this to myself, knowing that I come across such interesting ideas, thoughts, and feelings that I've got to constantly be bringing that before the Lord. One thing I really enjoy and hear about uh, your church is that you're a church that prays diligently and that we could be able in prayer to god say god this is going on in my life i'm really having this temptation or i'm really uh, wrestling with this desire and i i want you because jesus is my hope worth and value i need wisdom on how to navigate through this okay but we're driven for an appetite of ourselves and i i mean i you just, more and more, we're worried about how we can blog, how we can tweet, how we can express who we are so people will like us. And while that in itself, even being interacting that way is not bad, we've got to figure out how to make sure we realize that our desires should be first to the Lord and then to his people. Galatians uh, Galatians 5 says, you, you have been called to freedom. 
by the gospel. You're free. But don't use that freedom in a place where you're serving yourself. But that you'd be serving each other out of love. Be careful of becoming isolated. So the second area is our selfish desires war and conflict against people and the church. So we war and conflict first amongst ourselves. And I really think that's why a lot of us are led to uh, depression and to anxiety and not being able to sleep at night. But then it goes farther. It's not just within ourselves. It, it comes out and it ex- expresses our, itself in community. Our selfish desires, war and conflict against people in the church. And Paul goes on to say in Philippians that when we're acting childishly, now there's, it's good to have faith like a child, right? But when we act really selfish like children, and for those of you who have children, you know what I'm talking about. It's like you don't have to train them to be selfish. They, they're born with their hands like clenched fist, and it's all of life to try to figure out how do you can get those hands open, right? And we do that even in community, and Paul says that you living for yourself childishly, you can actually walk as an enemy of the cross of Christ. You're thinking, how is that even so? It's, it's almost like you're getting in way of the gospel when you're selfish and trying to be in community at the same time. I mean, I love what Jesus prayed in John 17. He's praying that, Lord... May they be one as you and I are one. And this is like, this changed my whole perspective on community and life as the family of God. Is when I realized that God, though one God, he was in community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And just as there is deference and community and love, so too Our lives, the very expression of the gospel, because Jesus didn't just save one person, right? He saved, he is saving a generation of people that are called by the gospel to himself. However, when we and our selfish desires, I mean, you can even look at Achan in the Old Testament. Amazing uh, classic example of this. Um, Social scientists say that Um, people that actually, uh, when they commit sin as a group, a lot of them, or one person uh, has wronged another in a group, the whole group suffers. That's the case with Achan. And many people, uh, there's numerous examples in the Bible where this happens, where the group is dealt with, not just a single person. But our selfishness, when when desires, instead of having wisdom and humility, when desires come our way and saying, God, how, how, how can I worship you in the moment? We say, we just take that desire, we selfishly act on it in sin, and then it becomes corrosive to community. It becomes corrosive to the fellowship of the family of God. And we never intended it to be so. I'm sure some of you have seen a church division turmoil where you're like, where, where, 
how do I navigate through this? There's so much pain. Even some of you might have already turned me off because you've gone through a painful circumstance before, a loss of a loved one, a loss of a friend or what have you, and you're like, I don't even want to talk about desires. I don't want to talk about conflict because it's just too painful to go there. But appreciate this, is that because those desires are acted upon selfishly, it creates pain and corrosion and destruction in relationships in the community and in the community of God. We've got to be be able to be in a place, just like at the end of chapter 3, if you have your Bibles out, the last verse in chapter 3, it says, to be, peace, uh, to be peacemakers, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. We've got to be able to be in a place where we're offering, just as, you, as you've received by Jesus, we've got to offer grace, mercy, compassion, forgiveness. Because that is the whole gospel story. Community is basically the preaching of the gospel in reality. I mean, even looking around, being from Primeville, it's like, this is so cool to see the, some of these faces together for Jesus. John thirteen thirty five says, Jesus said, By this all will know that you're my disciples, by the love that you have for one another. And that's easy to say. It's extremely challenging sometimes to live out, right? It's, uh, and I'm even, you know, there's times in my life where I'm like, okay, how do I make sense of this? I have these desires. I see that person. Oh, man, I really don't want to talk to this person. And I have these desires to flee, to be aggressive, to make war. But I'm like, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 stop. God, if truly all of my hope all of my worth and all of my values in you, how would you have me deal with this moment? God cares so much about who you are. Sometimes we're really concerned about where we are and that we're pleasing to God or trying to fulfill his will. He cares so much about who you are in the moment that each decision you make that would be a step to worship God. It would be a moment to say, I'm dealing with the circumstance I'm having these desires to lash out at someone, to be aggressive, to gossip, to whatever. But God, by the power of the Holy Spirit that's continually flowing into me, I want to be able to appropriately deal with this desire that I'm being bombarded with. I want to be able to manage this situation, and that can only come from you. God, because my desire, first of all, I'm going to delight in you, and you're going to give me the desires of, of, of my heart that I can play out in my life like a piano with a song sheet. But that's a huge element that we would make sure that we stay in that freedom that we're called into to make sure we serve out of love. The funny thing is, I mean, even look at Egypt, right? They were called out of uh Israel in Egypt. They were, Moses brought the people out of Egypt, but Moses wasn't able to bring Egypt out of the people, right? They were enslaved. They, they loved the, the garlic and, and this wonderful food, and they were constantly complaining and bickering because their hearts weren't in a place where God is enough. Their, their hearts weren't 
coming to God saying, you're all I need. The whole point to Jesus, and I, I love that uh, passage that was made mention of beforehand, John 15, that we would be abiding in Christ and that we would be bountiful, that we would be clinging to him, knowing that truly that's all we need. That's all we have, and that's he is more than enough. His grace is sufficient. Okay, the last area is our selfish desires, war, and conflict against God. And this might be kind of assumed thing, um, but knowing that, obviously, before knowing Christ, you know, we were dead in our trespasses and our sins. Uh, we were at enmity with God. Something that's interesting to point out, and I have it on my notes up here, is that you look at verse 4, right? And this is probably the hard, one of the hardest verses to read in the, in the New Testament. So my hat's off to you as you read it. It says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Basically, he's calling us whores and prostitutes that are walking out on God by the desires that we're fulfilling, the desires that come our way and that we live out. And uh, I love the story of Hosea because it just shows the relentless pursuit of God for a people that don't want him. Okay? And may it be a point of grace this morning where we realize, man, yeah, there's some things that I have acted out in that I've had a desire for, I've, I've been tempted in, that I've, that I've bitten onto and I've sinned in. But to know that, wait a minute, this is the very point why the gospel came, that Jesus would give me freedom to make sin powerless in my life by following Jesus as a new creation, as a new creature. But this is something where just because you asked, for, you asked Jesus to save your, of your sins when you first came into contact with him however long ago, doesn't mean that everything's just perfect now, right? We have to go through trial. And um, I love that passage where it says, this light and momentary affliction. Whatever you're going through, you might go through a valley. You may go through a painful circumstance. It's not like God's wringing his hands upstairs, Okay. He understands what's going on, and with that light and momentary affliction, Scripture says it would bring about an eternal weight of glory. That we'd realize, okay, still in this situation, as much as I want to hit the escape, you know, run away from the problem or or run away from this relationship uh, or what have you, I need to I need to make sure that this moment in my life, I am making sure my eyes are fixed on the Lord. Just like Hebrews 12 says that uh, our eyes would be on him, the Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith. He would be, the, he's the one that is going to be our captain, the, our hero to bring us out of difficulty. And so many times we get in a place where we've already... We're already trying to rationalize certain things in our heart. We're warring against ourselves, right, that first part. And then we act out on those desires selfishly, and it affects 
close friends. It affects family members. I remember being at a family reunion a couple years ago, and I was so selfish, and I was so bent on what I wanted to do, how to fulfill me and how to have pleasure and how I can relax. It became all about me. And God says, no, wait a minute, you're not the ultimate reality. I'm the ultimate reality. So instead of positioning everyone in your life around you, God's saying, no, you delight in me. I'm the ultimate reality. Position your life around me. You're meant to worship and run and live for and delight in me. And so when we're bombarded by certain thoughts, feelings, passions, lusts, desires, we can say, I know that your grace is sufficient for me and your power is perfected in my weakness and all of my hope, all of my worth, and all of my value would be in Jesus alone. And because of that, I'm going to live out desires that I know are from God. It's not rocket science, is it? I mean, sometimes... We know when certain desires are evil. And if you're anything like me, I'm like, man, if only you knew sometimes what was in my heart. I would shudder for you guys to know. Because I'm like, that desire is from the enemy. This is not right. That we could realize that we have been, we have been freed by grace through faith to serve out of love. And so when desires come, we would know just like C.S. Lewis was talking about, we could know how to play those desires in God's will to glorify him rather than to somehow escalate or elevate or glorify self. It's huge. Um, another passage here. I, I really like this one. Um, for some of you, it'll probably hit home. But this, is, this whole conflict is, has everything to do with our old nature or old Adamic, sin-laden nature. And that God, as Father, He has sent His Son out of love for us to adopt us, to bring us into fellowship, to bring us into family again. And that's the gospel being lived out every day. To the place where Paul, from 2 Corinthians 6, if you want to turn there, you can, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 16, kind of halfway through that verse. And this is highlighting a passage from Isaiah. He says, For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them. And think of the word among. Also in uh, James 4, it talks about, you know, you war among yourselves. So there's this huge component to community. I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. 
I love our children. We have uh, our son, Josiah, is 12, and we have three daughters, uh, Abby, uh, Jay, and Lydia, 10, 8, and 6. And one of my daughters, um, one time I was correcting her. Um, I was probably had a more stressful day at work and what have you. But I could tell that she was really disturbed. She was going to bed. She was like really brokenhearted, maybe teary-eyed. And I said, Abby, I know that you're sad. I know that you, um, you're crying and you're probably not feeling very close to me. I said, but I want you to know one thing. No matter what has happened, there's nothing you could do more there's nothing you could do that would make me love you more. And there's nothing that you could do that would make me love you less. And when I said that, I realized that's God. That's totally God with me. Is that, yeah, there's some things I've really messed up. There's some people that I have wronged. I have sinned against. I, um, I've been about myself rather than for the Lord and his people. But it doesn't change the fact that God, in his manifest presence, he is with us, right? He's God with us. That we could engage with him, that we can interact with him. But we know that when we act on a certain desire, and some of you guys might feel really heavy laden. You're like, Scott, you're pinpointing a desire that I acted out on in sin last week. And just know this, the grace of God was so extreme that Jesus died on the cross for that. He rose from the grave to bring you to a place where even though that sin occurred, the effect and the power of it, sin and death, are dealt with. And that you could say, no matter what, I know that ultimately my Father is God. I mean, as much it, no matter what you do, whatever your last name is, if it's Barney, you know, no matter what Adam does, he is still a Barney. Right, And I remember growing up here, my mom would always tease me. I think she kind of meant it. She goes, Scott, just make sure that, you know, your name's not in the that section of the newspaper. You know what I mean? And so quickly we can think, oh, man, if I strike out, then I am at odds uh, with God. And truly, we can live a life where we're all for self and we can be enemies of the cross of Christ. But ultimately, with our relationship with God, he's saying, I want you to walk in community with me. I want you to be able to know that your desires, that you could have the wisdom to be able to manage what you feel, to be able to know that there's certain desires and temptations that you just need to have self-control for. And I want you also to know the value of community and loving each other and how certain desires can war wage war against other believers, but ultimately, I want you to be in a place where you know the importance of managing and making decisions that you would be delighting me as I am loving and I'm in your family as your father. That's the type of consolation we have. It's amazing. Um, It's an awesome passage. Just just before we wrap up here, we have the worship team um, come up, and then we'll, we can enjoy communion. Something that really stood out to me—I didn't mention this in the in the first uh, in the first session—but 
In Luke 22, the disciples, classic story, the disciples were arguing amongst themselves who was the greatest. We know that James and John's mom, the the sons of thunder, their mom was kind of like, you know, uh, lobbying for their sons to have some sort of really cool place in heaven to sit at the right hand, uh, left, left and right hand. But Jesus deals with this very straightforward. And he said to the disciples as they were disputing, okay, they're conflicting, they were warring amongst themselves on who would be the greatest. I mean, think about this. Would that be like classic to watch? Some Christians talking about how cool they should be to be in first place. Okay? Pretty pathetic. He said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. Meaning they kind of manipulate, they're coerced, they are dominating other people here um, materially here in this world. And those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become the youngest and the leader as the one who serves. Even the disciples, spending so much close-knit time with Jesus when he's here on earth, God in the flesh, they still wrestled with desires of self. Okay? And what Jesus is saying is, when you come to that, just remember, greatness, and that was the desire for them, it was greatness. That he didn't bash the idea of greatness. He just redefined for them. He clarified what greatness really was. Is that they would have the humility uh, of a childlike faith and that they would serve, right? And that's right where we're at. We have this freedom in Christ as we're bombarded with these desires that would war in us, war outside of us to, the, to other people, and that would also war in between our relationship with us and Father God, we need to realize that we can be given the wisdom before make personalizing it, before assuming that desire. We can say, God, because Jesus is all my hope, worth, and value, how would I live out or should I live out this desire? Is this what, can I worship you in this moment with this? Truth and time walk hand in hand, and it is a beautiful thing. And the gospel story is being made manifest every single day. That people could see your lives in this community, and that they would say, Man, I know that so and so has gone through the meat grinder recently. I know that they've f- faced a lot of challenge or, you know, tragedy. But to have a life that is living for God through those challenging circumstances, and people say, man, I can just see God through that. I can see the gospel story even without them really being close to me. That truly uh, that would be lived out, that the people would know that we are followers of Jesus through that is just simply amazing. So take heart. Yes, they're depending on how we deal with desire and passions, there can be conflict. Sometimes there's unavoidable conflict. I really think we as a culture have a we're actually really lousy at conflict because it's going to take a lot of it's going to take a lot of faith in God. It's going to take patience 
and mercy and grace towards others to see the Lord navigate through our desires. But to know at the end that you're, that you would not place something or some activity as your Messiah, as your functional Savior, but that you would be able to realize that ultimately my delight is for the Lord and that's where I find all my purpose. That's where I find all my meaning is because of what Jesus has done for me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much. I know that this is a very interesting passage. Uh, James is so practical. And this area of pain and conflict that we could know, um, even stuff that hasn't been dealt with, that we could worship you through our desires. And I know that some of us are dealing with loss. I, I know that just recently our community uh, experienced the loss of someone um, just in the last 24 or 36 hours and that, that we could say, uh, God, with what we're sensing, what we're going through, uh, whatever conflict or pain or tragedy, that we could take these things, that we could take every thought captive, as Scripture says, and worship you in it. So please, Lord, somehow rekindle that fire. You're a consuming fire, God. Re- bring us back to being in your presence and delighting you in you that we would have the that we would have the humility and the wisdom to worship you in the moment through our desires. You've been listening to the teaching ministry at Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754. Or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.